You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., episode number 462. Seller, here's a great question. This is a nice house. Why don't you listen with a real estate agent? Seller, this is a nice home in a nice area. Why don't you become a landlord? So you have to be childlike, which is why this is such a good business for me because I got a 990 on my SAT, right? So this is like perfect. But (laughs) the whole thing is just be that whole advice of like act as if. Worst advice ever given in the history of real estate investing. Do not act as if. Boil it down to childlike understanding and don't leave that living room until you've got that contract signed because you've built rapport and you understand why they're selling. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. Investor Grit presents Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling with your hosts, Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffheim. Nobody has coached more successful students than Tom Kroll. Okay, it's just a fact. The Wholesaling Inc. podcast gets 9,000 downloads every single day for a reason. And that's because it is just absolutely filled with value and instruction. Okay, not only is he just an encouraging and loving human being that truly cares about every single person that's on the listening to this, the small group of people that want to be real estate investors, want to be financially free from finding and sourcing discounted properties. Of course, he loves everybody there, but more than anything, he wants to push you to the next level. He wants to push you out of your comfort zone so that you are taking action every single day. He has the best equation for success that I've ever seen, and it talks about it is not about education plus action equals results. It is the action plus the results is your education. So with that, if you would bring on the Tom Kroll, the number one, the head rhino from from his cabin <laughs> in Georgia. Tom, say hello to everybody. <laughs> hey, Jamil, Pace, Brent, good to see you. I don't know who's in the blue shirt. Who's That's Flipman. It's Ty the Flipman. Ty the Flipman. Flipman, good to see you. <laughs> so the way, yeah. Tom, the way that this show works is people post their comments. We pick them up. We put them on the I screen. Hold on, let's see. Jamil, how are you? Awesome, man. I'm I'm having a great day. It's a Monday. It's a great day to be a wholesaler. Great day to do deals. We've got, you know, Flipman just made a, a quick trip into town. Happy to see you guys. How was your yep. weekend? Well, sold another deal to you last week. <laughs> sold another deal to you. We have a few more that we locked up, which is really exciting. And uh, it seems like everything just is continuing to roll and roll and roll, which is really exciting. We've been working with really training with our acquisition managers, Pace, and you can probably uh, tap into this a lot. But really, really going, my acquisition manager, he wants to try to get everything done over the phone where I feel like there's slippage if he's not going on the appointments. Can you kind of talk to that a little bit, Pace? And maybe it's something that that people are wondering about a lot is, is it better to go face-to-face or to lock up these deals over the phone if you're in the same market? This is obviously different if it's virtual, but do you have a preference, Pace? And then I'll send that to you. Tom, can you hear me? I, I got you loud and clear. Awesome. 
that's a great question. I had actually my sales meeting today and we went through our KPIs as it relates to our sales team. The KPI that we went through and we found out was we found out 80% of our deals right now are being done virtually in our own market. The other 20% are older people who say, I don't know how to work technology or it's somebody who is talking to so many other wholesalers. We feel like we've got to have the competitive advantage and get face to face. We locked up a deal today. Specifically, the lady lives in South Scottsdale. She says she's signing with us because we were the only people willing to come out to her property. Yep. Yep. I think you got to look at it and say 80% of your deals can be done over the phone, but you have to use your own discerning ability and filter out and say, I need a competitive advantage here. So many people are talking to this seller. I need to go out, show eyeballs to eyeballs to get that contract done. Awesome. Tom? Yeah. I mean, I like to chase deals, right? So I want to get in there, build a rapport. And I will tell you this, guys, once I get in there, if they're selling the house, they're selling it to me, right? And that's that's the key. I think the number one thing is uh, if they're going to sell that property, I'm going to build a rapport because it's not about the property, right? It's about why are they selling, right? It's about how worried they are about the grandfather clock that has to move down to Miami from Baltimore. And that's really the number one thing. Love it. Love it. And it was interesting, Tom. I did an interview today with uh, your brother, Todd Toback, right? And we were talking about a common objection that we run into, which is send me your proof of funds or how many deals have you done or how much business have you done or how how long have you been in business? And uh, Todd was like, listen, listen, (laughs) 99.99% of the time, those people will never do business with you. It doesn't matter what you say. So just be honest with them. Just tell them how well, to j- tell them what it is. I think the key is ABL, right? Always be leaving. So I think what a new wholesaler has to remember is that every question, every single question from a seller is an objection, right? So if they ask you, what color is the car you're driving? Your response should always be it's what most wholesalers do, right? Is they, they lean in and they try to convince and they say, well, um, I drive a red car, which means I can get here faster. But what you have to do is you have to say, hey, I've got a blue car. Is that going to stop me from buying your house today? Right. So I think what is really important is if if your dog runs out of the house and you want to catch it, if you start running after it, it's going to run away. And if if you start running away from it, it'll chase you. So you've always got to be in the mentality. If you're a brand new wholesaler and you don't know anything about anything, which it's the strongest position you can be in because wholesaling real estate has absolutely zero to do with real estate. It has nothing to do with real estate. The only reason I do houses is because they're more valuable and desirable than watches, right? So tomorrow watches became more desirable and more valuable than than houses. I would just switch my model to watches or to televisions or to boats or to whatever. So the only reason we do houses is for that reason. So the key is it's kind of like dating. I've been married to Julie for over 20 years. So (laughs) So I don't know anything about dating. Don't ask me any dating advice. Um, But the whole idea is you've got to be confident. You've got to show up. You've got to be brutally honest. And you have to understand that you have a million dollars in your pocket and there's a thousand houses for sale. So they better get busy convincing you that you should give them your money. You don't get busy with them telling you all the reasons why they should sell you the house about how great you are because that lacks confidence. And the reason they're selling is because they're in trouble. 
there's always an impending event. Whether you ultimately find it out or not, which it is difficult to do, so we can show you a few tactics on how to do that. But I promise you, anybody who calls you off of a 32 cents postcard, there's a reason, right? There's a reason that they don't want to have an agent showing the house and all of that. So so you've got to find that problem and solve it. And and that's the key. So yeah, so I <laughs> I love it. But it has nothing to do with real estate. So if you're like, hey, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to start. If you just get good at finding discounted properties, you will find financial freedom very, very quickly. Don't worry about, you know, don't a lot of new wholesalers that go in, they have like a sheet of paper with a rehab and they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Then they start to lie because how can they not lie, right? Because they have like a rehab sheet. Meanwhile, they've never replaced a granite countertop in their whole life, right? Either have I, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I have a guy who comes in to change my light bulb, so that's not a lie. So, um, so, <laughs> so they've got very high ceilings here. So the whole thing is, is if you just want to practice brutal honesty, which is find out why they're selling. And a great, if somebody's struggling and they're like, you know, sometimes the sellers, they, you know, it's just kind of dance around the topic. They'll say something like, you know, we're empty nesters, which really isn't a a reason. One of the little tricks is the when will reveal the why, right? So if your seller is just not giving you an answer, just say, hey, when would you like to sell by? When were you hoping to sell by? And then they'll usually say something like, oh, well, if I don't sell by February, it's going to go into tax foreclosure. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Right. So now we know why we're here. They've got to see you as the Coast Guard, right? They're a sinking ship. And if you pull up in some canoe with a hole in it, which is chasing them, they're not going to put their trust in you. But if they see that you're the Coast Guard and you have brutal honesty and you're trying to help them and you have the ability and capacity to do that, then they'll sell you the house at a discounted price in exchange for speed and convenience. These are always people who've let a problem go for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, right? So they've ignored it. And as we know in life, all the great men and women who came before us, everything you ignore will fall apart, rot and deteriorate, whether it's your family, whether it's your business, whether it's your house, and anything you pay attention to will just you know, do better. So it's uh, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> I love it. And Jamil, yeah. talk to me because Tom just brought up a really good point. He said, it's not about the real estate. When you're trading so many, I mean, you're trading two, three, four, 10 deals a day, How does it feel to you? Do you feel like it's real estate? Do you feel like it's just trading something? Like mentally, how do you get in that space where you're not worried about every little detail about the property? You know, it's there's a level of disconnection, right? You have to be detached from the asset. You've got to be detached from the situation. And I love what Tom said, always be leaving. It's, you know, even when we're working with another wholesaler, and they're trying to get in their way of in the way of the deal. It happens a lot, right? Where you've got somebody who's like, oh, no, no, I need to micromanage this situation. I need to get in the middle of it. I need to try to control this, control that, control this. And, and I'm always like, you know what? No problem. When you have everything figured out, let us know. Come back to us with the deal and we'll work on it. And then right away, they're like, oh, oh, oh that's not what I meant. Okay, well, what are we talking about here? Because what you're focused on right now is not the deal. What you're focused on right now is not connecting the dots. What you're focused on right now is that your dot has a tiny little space in it that's not filled in and is bothering you. And that whole mentality, that whole capacity not to look at the big picture is what unravels business all the time, right? It's what unravels partnerships. It's what unravels marriages. It's that when people just can't 
accept that everybody's got a part to play and they let people do their part. I think the, having that attitude of always believing is 100% not only a real thing, but it makes the seller value you. It makes the seller understand. We, we walk into there and we're all like, will, will they like me? Will they think I smell good? Will this clipboard I'm holding play as a prop, right? No, 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 no. It's like you walk in and you're, like, I, you know what? It's funny because people think I don't do seller direct anymore. I, I was just on a seller appointment three days ago, right? I'm communicating on a probate deal because it's from my insurance agent who loves to send me deals. When someone passes away, my insurance agent talks to the family about the death benefit. And right at that conversation, he says, you know, I know someone who could potentially help you with the estate. Why don't I give you their referral? And then I, I'm, I'm in the deal. So here I am out of property, not too far from my house. And as soon as I walk in, I'm like, oh, this house, this house is really nice. I don't think you, you want a cash buyer. What you want to do is spend $50,000 and deal with an agent. You need top dollar for this. Let me put you in touch with a great contractor and let me put you in touch with the best realtor in town. And right away, it's backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. But no, 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 no. No, I called a cash buyer because I'm, I want to understand what you can do for me. Oh, okay. In that instance, let's talk about it there. Because this whole, you know, reaching for the stars type mentality or whatever that they're looking for, the thing that the game they're trying to play with me is not the one I'm playing with them. Love it. If I could, let's just talk about, because somebody might be new and they might be listening to this and they'll be saying like, oh, you guys are so skilled, you know, especially Tom is so good looking. So this is so easy for you guys, right? Oh. So let me just give you the basic core element of how to do this tonight, because anybody who's really serious, if you're at rock bottom and you want to change your life right now, right? You are powerful. You are strong. You're made in the image of God. You can do this right now. There's no reason to go to bed after this broadcast, you should go out and do a deal, right? Especially if you have a family to take care of, right? So if you want to go do a deal tonight, let me, let me give you, you don't need sales books. You don't need Oren Clef. You don't need negotiating. You don't need Chris Foss. All you need is this brutal honesty. Everybody operates with, I'm afraid if I tell the seller this, I'm going to lose the deal. Here's the newsflash, right? You don't have a deal. Most people who own a home don't want to sell it. The majority of people who want to sell a home don't want your lowball offer. This is a small minority of people, right? So your job is to get through all the no's as fast as possible. But when you start lying, and not that you're lying intentionally, but you're pretending that you're a rehabber or you're getting all, you know, you're talking about words you don't really understand, like equity and cap rate or whatever the heck all that stuff means, which I don't even really know. The bottom line is brutal honesty. Whatever you're afraid, and this is how you could do it if you can practice it right now, this is how you can practice it. Whatever you're afraid to tell the seller because you think they're going to lose the deal, that's when you say it. Right then. As soon as you're like, oh man, if the seller knew I wasn't going to live here, they would sure wouldn't like me. Oh man, you know, seller, here's a great question. This is a nice house. Why don't you listen with a real estate agent? Seller, this is a nice home in a nice area. Why don't you become a landlord? So you have to be childlike which is why this is such a good business for me because I got a 990 on my SAT, right? So this is like perfect. But <laughs> the whole thing is just be that whole advice of like act as if worst advice ever given in the history of real estate investing. Do not act as if boil it down to childlike understanding and don't leave that living room until you've got that contract signed because you've built rapport and you understand why they're selling. And if you, if you take that brutal honesty, 
Some people will say, yeah, I should list with an agent. I want top price. If somebody says I want top price and you're a wholesaler, always remember you will never win on top price. Wholesalers will never win on price. So you can train for in sales and negotiating for years, but it's not going to make any difference. You're just going to get to the no a lot slower, probably at the closing table or the day after. So, so that's kind of, I think the key there is just understand that wholesalers never win on price and be willing to ask the tough questions as soon as you feel it. And you'll feel it in your belly. So some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But as soon as you feel it in your belly, like, oh, man, what happens if I say this? What is the seller going to think? That's immediately the time to, to be brutally honest with the seller. And that's how you can do all of that in such a short amount of time. And you don't, have, you don't need you know, what's the best latest book on sales, Dale Carnegie or Sandler or Chris Voss was an FBI negotiator. That's all great. I love reading books. and I, I love sales and negotiating. But if you just want to do a deal tonight, that's the way you do it. Brutal honesty. I love it. And this is a good question from Paul, because I think that this is really what, what is stopping a lot of people from that brutal honesty is, is not coming across rude. And what I will say, and you guys can, and Pace, you tell them, you get into this as well, is I would say 95% of rudeness is delivery. Okay, it's the tone of voice that you use. And it's the way that your face looks when you're saying it. Okay, if you're having a good conversation and you're like Tom and you're smiling and you're you're saying, why don't you list this house? Why don't you do this? Why don't you keep it as a rental? I probably can't give right. you the most amount of money. I'm probably just going to sell this to somebody else anyway, like whatever it is, right? It's the delivery is the most important thing. So don't go in there brutal honesty. Just go on. I mean, I mean, you can, but just do it in a sense that's that is a comforting tone where you're not just totally beating them over the head and, and confusing them emotionally by being really aggressive and verbally attacking, you know? You know, Brent, it's funny that you talk tone and I think tone and intention have a lot to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Right? What are mm -hmm. my intentions in this meeting? What am I trying to accomplish here? Who am I here to help? And if I start to understand that I'm not, that I'm not helping myself, then I might be a jerk right? I might start to get rude. I might start to get fast. I might start to get aggressive. All these things can happen because I'm starting to feel like I'm going to lose a benefit. Yep. Right? But if I walk into that without having it in my heart to benefit myself, and I'm truly there to benefit the person that I'm, I'm talking to by offering a solution that I can offer in the skills that I have, then I, there should never be a point where I come off rude. I should always be able to deliver the best solution for a seller with the most grace possible because it's the right thing to do. 100%. The, you know, a great example of anybody who wants to see this live, if they want to see wholesalers live in action, right, is just put on Pawn Stars because as soon as the guy walks in with the Rolex watch, he says, oh, that's a really nice watch. Why would you consider selling it? Tell me about the watch. Oh, my grandfather got it in World War II. He fought and he hit the watch and then he got it back and he gave it to me, but I really need money. Why do you need money? You know, well, I don't think I, you know, I can buy this. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, Best you know, I can do. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think the, the thing is, and, you know, I always say wholesaling is like a pawn shop, right? It really has nothing to do with the real estate. It's all about them. You know, these people are coming in, they know what they're doing. All the sales and negotiating training in the world is not going to, you don't want to be a deal creator. You want to be a deal finder, right? So if you're brand new and you're just starting out and you don't know where to start, this is the best news you could have ever gotten because the people who are deal creators have difficult, frustrating jobs. The people who are deal finders put really simple systems in place 
they delegate those systems and then they go to a cabin in the woods, right? And they just relax. So, so the whole thing is, is just be a deal finder. Don't be a deal creator. So if you can get really good at finding a lot of deals really quickly, you'll find financial freedom. You could delegate that system easily. But you know all of the back and forth with the, the negotiating and this and that and, and trying to like create a deal, you should do creative financing. I mean, Pace obviously is a genius at that stuff and putting deals together creatively. But finding deals is your best bet. And then you know, getting into the creative part. Once somebody says, hey, yeah, you know what? I haven't paid my taxes in three years. They're about to take it. I live out of state. The renters destroyed it. Just do help me out. That's that's the key. Hey, speaking of creative financing, Errol Hart, his name is Errol Richards. He's out of Atlanta. Last time I physically saw him, he's on the screen. You guys can see his name. Jamil and I were in Atlanta and Errol was homeless, living out of the back of a UPS store. And today he called me and told me he's he's going to be a homeowner again. He's buying a home subject to and utilize wholesale as a way to get to that point. So, Errol, we're going to ring the bell for you, brother. <laughs> you, he, in four months, you went from being homeless to sleep and sleeping in the back of a UPS store to living to being a homeowner, utilizing wholesale as a way of generating leads. And then he converted a tougher deal utilizing creative financing. So guys, show Errol some love. Amazing, amazing story he told me about this morning. He's helping out some veterans, which is another cool thing we get to do, guys. Help so many sellers by solving problems. It's so freaking fun. Sorry to interject there. I just saw Errol's name and I couldn't hold myself back. Hey, says Tariq in the uh, in the background. Can you get him on to ask this question? Yes, yes. Let's get him on here. So Tariq, hey. So we're talking hey, somebody that's in army barracks right now. Okay. He's in Richmond, right? Richmond, uh, Virginia. In the yeah. army, army barracks. What do you got for us, Tariq? I am. All right. So a quick question that I have is what's the one thing for a new wholesaler to take yourself from doing basically two to three deals to doing a lot more? Start us off, Tom. Who do you want to direct that question to? It's to you uh, first. Anybody. Okay. <laughs> you, Tom. Yeah. So so, oh man, I love this question. What a good question. First of all, where's my victory? I need a victory bell at the cabin because two to three deals. Did you say a month or a week? A uh, month. Hey, Tom, he's a rhino in the TTP family. All right, rhino. Good stuff. All right, so, so here's what we got. So uh, number one, for if you want to increase your deal flow, right? If you look at the guys and girls who are uh, constantly doing 40, 50, 80, 100, $200,000 a month, right? If you look at those people and you say, what are they doing differently than the other people who are just kind of in that middle phase where they're doing a hand, uh, handful of deals? Uh, the number one thing that you need to focus on, in my opinion, is number one is increasing your average deal size, right? And automating that process, right? Because you need more revenue because growth, you're in a growth stage. And the only thing that grows our bodies, right, is the blood. The blood of our company is our, is our margin. So number one thing I would focus on is deal size. Uh, I know that Brent has, you know, through Todd Toback, you know, this is an amazing way to do that. Very simply, it's it's a no-brainer. Um, so that's number one. Number two is do you have any acquisition managers? No, just starting off. Okay. So so the key here is definitely an AM because two to three deals a month you is enough, that's enough activity. Your only focus in life should be how do I make my acquisition manager super uber duper wealthy? That's what I did. And you don't have to, you know, I hired just my my brother. He was out in Colorado as a he was baking bread out there. I brought him in and he was doing it for me. And he loved it. And what I basically did is it was three to four weeks of him, him following me around with a pad of, and paper. 
and I was in charge. I doubled down on my marketing. And then it was three to four weeks with me following him around where he would do all the talking with the seller. I was taking notes and then getting back with him in the car and saying, hey, and this is what you did wrong. Now get back in the house and go get the contract, right? So that's basically all I did. Is the, and the only transition there is there's a lot of in acquisition manager training, but the number one key is as soon as you hire an acquisition manager, number one, having a total abundance mindset, right? So a lot of times somebody will hire somebody that they don't want to share everything because they're afraid that the acquisition manager is going to start their own business. Who cares? They won't do that. 99% of the time anyway, but who even cares about that? There's no competition, only collaboration. So be a total open book. It's great to have like a mentor mentee type relationship with that person. And as soon as that person comes in, double down on your marketing. And here is the key. Whatever you're doing to get deals, do more of it. One of the rookie mistakes that new wholesalers make when they start to try to want to grow is instead of doing more of what already works, they start to experiment with stuff that doesn't, that only works when you're hundred percent focused, right? So, so the key is if you like bandit signs, bandit signs are definitely the best marketing channel. There's no doubt about it. Do more bandit signs. If you like direct mail, direct mail is definitely the best marketing channel. There's no doubt about that. Just do more direct mail, right? Billboards, television ads, PPC, SEO, cold calling. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you think is best is best, but dominate one channel. This is the one commonality between the wholesalers who are struggling and the ones who are successful is if you go into a RIA meeting and you're like to a struggling wholesaler, you ask them, what are you doing to find deals? They say, well, I hand wrote a few cards. I cold call a few agents. I cold call a few sellers. I did one PPC campaign. I put up a YouTube video. When you talk to somebody who's making $50,000 a month, you say, what are you doing to find deals? They always give you the same answer. They say, I'm doing this one marketing channel. I totally dominated in my market. I know exactly what color works, exactly what font, exactly when to send it, exactly how to take the call, whether it should go to live answer or voicemail or whatever it is, because they know that marketing channel totally. When you own one marketing channel and you totally dominate it, which is so much easier than doing multiple channels at the same time, which just dilutes your effort and weakens you. But when you do one channel and you totally just rhino it, what happens is you can split test. You understand everything about it. You know when to put it in. You start to get like intuitive in your belly, right? You're making decisions on your belly because you're watching those KPIs. You're, you're not breaking any of the rules of marketing. When This is a numbers game. Most people don't want to sell their house, and most people who want to sell their house want full price. So you've got to be extraordinarily good, especially in your growth stage of hiring acquisition managers, of totally dominating that one channel. Right and doubling and quadrupling down on that one channel as you start to grow, and then once it's totally consistent, right, which is basically a marketing channel is like a business, right? It's something that is producing a consistent result that you delegate to somebody else. At that point, then you move on to another channel, and that is a really fast way to grow your team and to grow your your business from two to three deals a month to five to ten deals a month is increase your deal size bring on an acquisition manager and double down on one marketing channel and measure those KPIs. That's the most important thing. And I'll give you one KPI that's very important. This is the most important KPI that you can possibly track. And every wholesaler on this call knows the answer to this question, which is this. Whenever you're doing direct seller marketing, meaning that the marketing goes out and the phone calls come in, whenever you're doing that, the most important KPI, which stands for key performance indicator to track is this. How many incoming calls equal a deal? 
That's it. Don't try to differentiate the leads. This guy hung up. This guy didn't leave a message. This guy was angry. This guy was hot. It doesn't matter. How many incoming phone calls equal one deal? Because if you know that and you want to buy uh, you know, a million-dollar house, all you've got to do is reverse engineer that number. Right. So all you have to do is work backwards to say, okay, I know that I know that at 39 phone calls equal one deal. And I know my average deal size is eighteen thousand dollars. I know that uh, my my cost to get that eighteen thousand dollar deal is twenty three hundred dollars. So I just need to do X amount of deals and I could buy a million dollar home. Does that make sense? Hey yes. Tom, can I can I interrupt for just a second? Yep. I had um Rudy, who is one of my students, flew in from Fresno to spend the whole week here in my Phoenix office. And he asked me one question this morning, and I went off for two hours specifically about exactly what you just talked about. I said, I only, I only follow two KPIs as like a high, I, I, you know, we're at a point where we're doing, you know, wholesale, we're doing about 12 deals to 16 deals a month. And then we're doing another 10 deals on top of that with creative financing. I'm at a point where I'm not involved in the, every single transaction, but I look at two KPIs primarily. One the most important KPI is how many leads to a converted deal we get. That is yeah. the most important KPI for me as the business owner. And then number two, I look at my cost per contract, which tells me how many contracts I get against my overhead. Those are the only two things I look at. It tells me the entire lifeblood of my business. So, oh my I God, literally <laughs> spent two hours just talking about this. I mean, you know, the thing is, is if, if you understand that, you can very seriously just explode your income in such a short amount of time because when you understand that uh, those are the basic parameters of marketing, right? People are looking at all kinds of stuff right there. Like, oh, I know how to create a podio report or create a field of podio. I don't know what they're talking about, right? <laughs> just tell me how many phone calls equal a deal and you will find financial freedom. There's no doubt about it. I, I love it, Pace. How do you go from doing a couple to 80 deals a month, Jamil? Well, I removed all of the parts that were out of my control. Essentially, that's, that's what I did, right? And so you guys know our model is, is a dispositions house. We, we like to work direct to investor, right? We Obviously, we do some direct to seller, but I'm working with wholesalers mostly. I have really removed acquisitions from my business model. Right. So now what I do is I focus in and I double down on my core competency. It's the same thing Tom is saying. My core competency, I know, is dispositions. I know that we can find buyers. We can find more buyers willing to, to trade than anybody else in the marketplace can. And the second thing is, Brent, I know my numbers better than, than most do. And so I can commit to a deal right off the hop uh, like I did just this week with you and your team, Brent, you guys sent out a deal at nine o'clock in the morning at nine Oh one, I bought it. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and then between nine, nine Oh one and nine forty, your team got blown up with another 50, 60, 80 calls. All of them took their time comping that property uh, and really slept on the fact that there was a deal there because they, they, they made it too hard. So I, for me, just like Tom says, I doubled down on my core competency. The only thing that I know uh, and like my, my KPI is going to be how many properties am I going to comp before I get a deal? We're doing the same type of activity. It's just on the other side. I wholeheartedly agree with that, Tom. I think diluting yourself and doing, you know, 30, 40, 50 different things is what's the, the hardest part for new wholesalers today because 
there's just shiny object syndrome all over the place, right? It's what's this or what's that? And when you just look down to the basics, it's like what Flipman used to do and still does. It, you just pick up the phone and do your deals, right? So you and know, I would add to it too is don't do it yourself, right? I mean, I drink. I wouldn't hire you to be my bookkeeper to tell me KPIs, right? Do you know why I wouldn't hire you? Because you're on this line, right? Which means you're an entrepreneur. You're flying at 50,000 feet. You have big ideas all day. You don't like routine. You don't like details. No way you're getting anywhere near my books, right? So one thing I would do is outsource that. Anything, you know, th- to what Jamil is saying is, is anything that is that is not in your wheelhouse, you should not be doing. Certainly marketing. And marketing, number one, because the first rule of, of marketing is consistency. So your marketing should be the first thing that you outsource before you even hire an acquisition manager. Marketing's got to be big. It's got to be singular. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be trackable. It's got to be reversible. And the um, I wouldn't hire you to do my marketing. I wouldn't hire you to do my bookkeeping. So you shouldn't hire you either, right? You can go to Upwork or whatever for like three, four, five, six dollars an hour and get the, all that stuff done. But but yeah, I love it. This stuff is so easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> well, and and Tariq, what I would say is I think you got to look at what is your financial goal, right? And how can you get there with less deals, right? So that you can keep more. That's what I would look at. That's something that I learned from Todd Toback is if you're getting 50K a deal, you only need two of them and you've got a million dollar business a month, right? Now, if they're 5,000, 7,000, 10,000, you have to do a lot more. You have to have a lot more staff. And remember, this is critical. This is what nobody talks about and discusses before it happens. But you need to, and I know you are, but I'm speaking to the audience, you need to be a leader, okay? Once you start hiring people and you're financially responsible for them, your leadership skills are going to come out. And you're either really bad at it, you're okay, or you're phenomenal. But I have seen people that understand that they can do two deals a month, they can make $50,000 a month, they can keep... 75% of that, so they can keep 40 grand a month and don't have any overhead. They don't have any staff. They don't have any issues. They understand that they're going on all the appointments. They're doing all these things. Now, all of them, like Tom said, have somebody that manages their marketing and their lists and keep them consistent. That's a no brainer, but that's somebody that's very minimal cost. But there are some people that are going to be fine netting forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month for themselves with no staff, and they're going to make a lot more money than the people that are that have ten, fifteen, twenty people on staff, and they only net ten thousand, twelve thousand, fifteen thousand a month from their business. So remember, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to have money for your family to buy assets to be financially free then just look at how much can you do, right? What you're comfortable with, what gives you energy and doesn't drain you of energy every day. There's no use in you just being a shell of yourself emotionally and physically and and you're spiritually and you're just trying to make money. That doesn't work. It doesn't work long-term. has to be sustainable. But you have to look at what is the main goal? How can you get more per deal, 100%. And if you're going to make the decision to hire somebody, how is your leadership skills and how are you going to be comfortable being financially responsible for people? Those are the important things. And you've got all that. I'm, I'm not worried about you. I'm just talking to everybody out there. Everybody is a little bit different. Okay. Some Brian, can I want- add to that? Yep. Can I just answer that for once? I just want to say something. It's like, isn't it incredible, 
right? That like we're having this conversation and we're even entertaining the idea like is like that a dollar amount enough and what are your goals? I mean, because if you just think back for a second, right? Yeah. I was literally like, I was going through a bankruptcy. I got fired from my job. My wife is crying because she doesn't want to buy groceries because we didn't have enough to pay the mortgage and we didn't want to lose our house. We had already gone through one foreclosure and now we were going through a bankruptcy. I was cutting lawns in Florida and I do not have the body time to be cutting lawns in Florida for income. It was a nightmare. And I'm literally, as I'm on this, you know, I'm just smiling because I'm hearing these numbers and there's like, I have these hummingbirds and they're all on this feeder right behind the camera. I've got to get this. And like the sun is setting and they have these like really colorful throats and they're iridescent and they're like shining in the sunlight. I'm like, what is going on right now? This is the greatest business in the whole world. I love it. Yep. (laughs) It's crazy. You're absolutely right. I mean, it it is. And and I just had Tariq's on the Wholesale, Wholesaling Inc. podcast. He just closed a $17,000 deal. I mean, he's got the momentum going. He just wants to keep it going and and he's serving our country. So we thank you for that. And just incredible. But uh, did that did that give you every single angle of that question that you could possibly ask for? Yeah. Hey, Tariq, can I, 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 do, I do want to give one piece of advice, something that we struggled with that I feel like we've really perfected in the last six or seven months. Hiring and training and onboarding acquisition managers can turn into a full-time job because if you hire them, even if they're the right person, what happens if they, their wife gets pregnant or what happens if life happens, you got to replace that person. You need to record what you're doing right now. If you're not making videos about your own business, I would invest in Loom, L-O-O-M, so you can record yourself doing work on your computer. I would use trainual.com so you can talk to people and onboard them without you even being there. And you just say, hey, here's 35 videos of exactly how to be an acquisition manager in my business. When I'm not available, go to these videos. That's what myself and Cody Barton, my partner, did is we systematized our onboarding process. So now when somebody gets hired, they go watch 30 videos and then they have one or two hours of onboarding face-to-face before they hit the phone. It doesn't take time off of our plate. So what Tom was talking about earlier, so many people, what they do is they remove themselves rather than replace themselves. They remove themselves from what's working and they go work on the shiny object stuff and the things that were working, they've completely removed any work. And so what you need to do is replace yourself, not remove yourself. And the way to do that is by onboarding videos, training and a system that will allow you to do it without having to physically do it yourself every time. Replace, don't remove. Yes. What Phenomenal. one point, Pace just brought up a really good point. I just he just reminded me of something. Pace, this is so key. Tariq, this is the key also. Personality tests are not, no matter what you've heard, are not good indicators of who to hire, but they are awesome resources on who not to hire. So one thing that you could definitely look at, yeah, when when you want to go through those, um, like the Tony Robbins has ones for that is based on um on that program he teaches, and there's a few. Some of them are free online, but a personality profile test, um, and a high D and a low I and all of that, great indicator of of uh who not to hire. That that's a great way to just say nope, not a good fit. So I um I don't know how you guys do this, but I saw this get popped up, and it sounds like the ability to scale. Tom's advice was primarily talking about replace yourself with an acquisition manager. So 
how do you guys pay your acquisition managers? Tom, do you have good advice yeah. for your the students? Um, or yeah. Brad, what do you guys tell your students? How, how should you guys pay your acquisition managers? Yep. 10 to 15. No, no, go ahead. Depending on, uh, I've, I've had one acquisition manager that's been with me for over three years. So I just pay her more. Uh, things just go a lot smoother and she's a killer. And then when they start out, 10%. Typically, what I'd have to do is do a base when they're starting out for the first 90 days, 2,500 bucks. Because it takes some time to get things rolling. So I did a base of 2500 bucks, And then when they close something there, they'd pay the 2500 bucks back and then get 10%. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't actually pay it back, but you guys get it. Just going to say, like, it's funny. The, the as, um, you know, when I was broke, I would have given somebody like a big base salary. I was like very generous that way. The more money I make, I used to think that wealthy people were cheap. But what I really learned in, in the past few years is that wealthy people are really good stewards of the money that God blesses them with, right? So it's not that they're cheap. It's that they're paying attention to what they're doing. They're not sloppy right with their money. Well, I always like commission only bottom line. I don't care if you're my director of marketing. I don't care if you're my director of whatever, all these different people, almost everybody who works with me in any company I own is almost always compensated with commission only. It's specifically to acquisition managers. This has to do a lot with the average size deal that you're getting and whether or not this person is a relative or not. The bottom line is I was doing 20%, but what I did at first is I flooded our company with so much marketing and I was giving him, even while he was in training, I was giving him that percentage, even though I was really doing the work. Um, and I did that too, because I wanted to, it's one thing to draw down on paper, but it's another thing when now all of a sudden you have a $50,000, whatever check or, or month for, for wherever you're at, and you have to take out 20% or 15 or 10%. Yeah. I like commission only. I know some people also do a draw. I don't really like draws. And the only other thing I would say is to make sure that you get with a real estate attorney in your state because how you compensate and, and, and guys, let me say this. If you're brand new, the only people making fun of attorneys are poor people. You never hear wealthy people making fun of attorneys. I know people who are worth 100 million, 200 million, 600 million. I've never heard one attorney joke out of any. As a matter of fact, when I go out to dinner with them, usually there's one or two attorneys sitting at dinner with them, right? So get a good real estate attorney, ask them any question about this, but especially compensating acquisition managers. You want to make sure that your AM is not acting like a broker if they don't have a license. So do you incorporate them into your LLC? Or how do you do that? But yeah, just a side note is make sure you have a really good real estate attorney because rules and regulations are different in every state, which is so key. Awesome. Uh, can we get Ryan on here? Yeah, let's bring him up. Yeah. Ryan. Yo, what's up, guys? Hey, welcome to the Wholesale Hotline. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. What question do you have, buddy? All right. So, uh, I mean, this one's pretty vague. It's open for all of you guys. But um, if you guys had to pick one marketing channel to go in to get some deals, what would you guys go with? <laughs> I know what mine is. <laughs> right. I know that could go, I mean, it could go direct to seller. We can go Jamil's model with you're going with other investors. But I would love to see what you guys had to say on that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Ryan is actually uh, one of our, our mentors in our, uh, in our Astro Flipping program. Actually, he's done a, an amazing job over the last 18 months growing his, he's an, a realtor, a, a retail agent who has grown a wholesaling vertical within his business and has added, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of revenue to his already existing retail business through wholesaling. So, you know, congrats, Ryan, for all that success. And I'll start that, that answer if that's okay, Brent. Yep. 
personally, I really truly believe that the most benefit that you can have is the long game, right? And so I'm a little different than than the cold caller, the texter, the direct mailer. I have always played the long game. I have always doubled down on relationships. I think that I, I, I could do, you know, and I've done 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 deals with the same person over and over and over again. So I love referrals. I'm going to, I'm going to say that referrals are the best way. They're, the, they're evergreen. They will keep you in business for a long, long time. You don't spend money to get referrals. All you have to do is a good job. Love it. Tom? Yeah. So here's what I would say. This is the most true, Ryan. I could tell you this is all of the men and women who came before us have already told us this. There's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing new that we're talking about here. Everything is 100% proven and already done. We're just, we're just on journeys of, of paths that other people have already taken. And the real true answer on this question is, whatever you think is the most effective channel is, just exactly like your marriage or the relationship you have with your children or whatever it is, it's all going to be based on your belief system. And I, I can tell you that I know that sounds like a really cheesy answer, but after 10,000 hours of coaching literally thousands of people, I will have people who will say, you know, X, Y, and Z and A, B, and T. I can tell you for me personally, I love, 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 love direct mail because I, and I especially love direct mail when it's, direct mail is kind of seasonal. Like everyone's like, oh, direct mail is so great. And then it kind of like, people are like, oh, it's so saturated, even though that's just an emotional response. It's not really based on real data, but it, that's what I love to double down even more, right? Is when people are like, oh, direct mail is really hard right now. I love direct mail because it hits all of the points of marketing for me. It's not people-based. So when I outsource it, I don't have to outsource it to people. It's just a system. Um, I love direct mail because it's scalable really quickly. I love direct mail because I can always reverse engineer it. So if I want to buy something, I am literally in my brain always calculating how many pieces of direct mail do I need to, to – like Ford is coming out with a new Bronco. My immediate thing – I was watching a video on this new Bronco that's coming out for 2021 so I could go off-roading. So my immediate calculation is how many postcards do I have to send out in order to get that Bronco? Right. So I love it because it's very reversible. Right. It's very trackable. If I want to slow down, I can slow it down. If I want to keep momentum going and increase it, I can do that. So I, I love direct mail, especially when it seems to be out of out of season, which is my favorite time. For sure. If I'm by myself, I have no other business owners, no partners, no employees. One hundred percent of my time would be spent on probate attorneys and referral from them. In fact, Jamil and I are working a really good one right now. Shout out to Jamil. Thank you so much. Probate re attorney refers the deal to me. I solved the problem for the seller that nobody else can solve. The probate attorney referred the deal to me. So the seller stops talking to anybody else because I was referred to them by the probate attorney. I then had Jamil sell the deal off. We all make money. And I had zero marketing dollars. I only, like Jamil said, I only had to do a good job. Now, if I am building and scaling a business and I need to spend money on marketing, which is probably where your question is really coming from, I would primarily text message mobile homes. Appreciate that. Mm, love it. Bam. Yeah, Ryan, I would find the 100 worst, ugliest houses within a five mile, maybe mile radius, depends on where you're at. I'd write them all down. I'd go to batch skip tracing. I'd spend $15. 
And I just start hand dialing all those people that, that the hundred ugliest houses, I would hand dial them. And for $15, I would turn it into 15, 20, 25, maybe $50,000 right now before any of you guys got a deal. <laughs> Boom! I love it. Yeah, make love sure it. you use the, the code squad. Okay? <laughs> make sure you're using the code squad. Flipman, you know, you've been pretty silent over here, but everybody wants to hear from you for a quick sec. What's your favorite marketing channel? Well, I always like to take it from the approach um, that someone doesn't have any money or very little money that they can come up with. And then also I take into account that uh, everyone is not as extroverted as a lot of you guys are, right? <laughs> um, so um, you make okay. it... Uh, <laughs> you, you, make, you simplify it for, for yourself by getting people to call you. All right, so like all of these, and I like to always say all of this stuff works. You just have to be consistent with it. But if I just had to just recommend someone spending between three to $500 on a, uh, a set of bandit signs, you know, that's where I got cut my teeth, still do them today because they're so inexpensive. And, you know, the return can be unbelievable if it's done correctly. But, you know, it's an ongoing thing. All markets are not equally designed to um to place signs so you have to be sometimes creative with it but like i, said, I always take it from the approach of the, the 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 person that may have the least i guess skills and resources to to succeed so we'll go with getting people to call you being able to reach a lot of eyeballs you know just from um just one method or whatever we just had to go with that so band the signs is what i would um Recommend. I think everybody knew you were going to say yeah. bandit signs. The comments right. are blown up with you, with everybody saying they learned bandit signs from your YouTube channel. Yeah, appreciate You know that, what's amazing man. about bandit signs? Bandit signs have one of the highest. Everybody always says that internet leads like SEO and PPC have the highest conversion. I have found from my coaching that my students who do bandit signs have the highest conversion, hands down, if they're allowed in a city where you can do them. Yeah. But bar none, bandit signs. When you get a call from a bandit sign. That person's selling their house today. There's no doubt about it. I agree. Awesome. And I okay. could I ask another question? Is that allowed? Two questions? Yeah. Yeah. Go online, baby. All right. Oh, ask. Yeah, this yeah. is a fun one. So I guess when you get to the point where you're doing some deals and you've got enough capital built up, at what point do you consider partnering partnering up with people and where does it make sense? I know some of you guys have partners. So. Yeah, no no way. Partner. Yeah. We'll let Brent ask answer that no, question. No, no, let Tom answer it. Tom well, taught me. There's only there's only one kind of uh, there's only one kind of ship that doesn't sail. That's a partnership. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a good good diverse group here. <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely no reason to partner in this business because typically partnership is based on a lie, which is I'm not good at this and they're good at that, and I I'm good at this and they're not good at that. The reality is is this business is literally so simple. Like if I could do it, anybody can do it. So there's no reason, there's no benefit to partnering because now, now there's partnerships and then there's partnering where you say, if you're, if you're really broke and you're just starting and you say, Hey, this person has money. Can you pay for my marketing? And I'll give you first right of refusal on all of my deals, or I'll, I'll give you 50% of my revenue from that campaign. That's a different, but I'm talking like shared LLC in the same company partnership. I have never seen it work. Never. Now, I will say I have about five examples of people where it has worked, where people have gotten together, especially in wholesaling and partnership, and it worked. Typically, four of those five were husband and wife, 
and one was a pair of siblings. And what is interesting about those five that did work is that in every single case, the partner could run the business 100% without the other one. But I've never seen it work between friends. And I'm talking like a ton of, yeah, a ton of examples. It just doesn't work. It's like this business is, it's such a short sales cycle and it's really such an amplification of who you are. You're, we're not running Fortune 500 companies. So it's such a short sales cycle and it's uh, such a reflection of who you are as a leader. And I just don't see it having, you know, for me, I don't like to reinvent the wheel, right? So what one thing I've learned is I came in and my stepbrother, my older brother, Todd Toback taught me and he was telling me about partnerships that they're not good and I haven't seen it work. The people who tried it have failed at it. There's also a lot of cash involved when they're successful in a very short amount of time. And if there's any little cracks or flaws, that will kind of crack that open too. A lot of times partnerships work because people don't make any money in other businesses, right? So you start a restaurant, it's a great partnership business, right? Because you're going to be broke for about five years and go out of business and you guys can't shake and stay friends. This is not that kind of business, hopefully. So I think that's another part of it too. Appreciate you that. You thought I was bad. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I think I'll, I'll go next and then you can hear the, the opposite side of the coin from Brent again and maybe the other side from Pace. But Ryan, you're familiar with my partnership. It's one of the most healthy partnerships I've ever been in in my life. Uh, one thing that Tom mentioned, which was interesting, is that it works uh, when they're siblings sometimes. And one of my siblings is uh, one of our partners at Keegley. The other thing, though, that I have to say is that I think that, it again, it goes into what's inside of everybody's heart and intentions when they're getting involved with one another, right? My two partners, uh, Josiah and Hunter, I don't believe Keegley could be Keegley without them. If it was just my sister and I trying to grow this company to a point where we franchised it and went national, I couldn't see it happening. We absolutely need the leadership and vision of Josiah. We absolutely need the systems, the efficiency of Hunter. We absolutely you know, need my sister's construction and understanding of, of, of numbers and her initial investment that got the company off the ground. And we need my ability to comp. So, and buy houses and, and all of us brought our pieces to the table. And, and with that, uh, we've, we've put together something magical. Now, you know, again, it's magic and magic doesn't always happen with the same ingredients. You need that spark. You need that, that piece. And I think the other thing that we all have that, that shared is uh, faith, right? It's not just, we're not in a partnership with each other. We're in a part, we're in a spiritual partnership right? We 100% are. And we all believe that God is the foundation of the partnership. And in that, we are all tools to help each other and, and to make it grow. And so I don't know, you know, I do believe I'm in a magical situation. And I believe it's blessed by, by God. And maybe that's what's the glue that's binding us together. But that's my answer. I love it. And I think that, uh, you know, Tom and I are similar in this because we don't have any plans or or goals of franchising and growing right. this to potentially a Fortune 500 company, right? We don't right. have plans on owning, you know, 1500 doors like Pace. We just have different plans in life, right? And and because of that, when it comes to when you ask about the wholesaling business, you can what without a doubt hire people for the roles that you need, 
right? right. You don't need a visionary, in my uh, opinion. You don't need a visionary in this business. The book Rocket Fuel for a small one location wholesaling company is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Visionary and the integrator and all that. It's absolutely bananas if you're doing two to 10 deals a month. Okay. Now you want to take it over the top like Pace. You want to take it over the top like Pace and Jamil and and Cody and Hunter and, and Josiah. Absolutely. I get it. But if you're just talking about a wholesaling business and you're just starting out, the biggest weakness that I see is you get a partner that's not going to pull their weight and you're spending 70% of your effort looking over your shoulder, hoping that they're working as you're grinding the phones every day, as you're responding to texts every day, as you're doing all this. Listen, if you're going to have a partner because you need some support, I totally get it. But just have a plan that says, hey, once we make our first million dollars, let's sit back down and see if we still want to do this partnership or if we want to just do our own business. That's the way that I think from a wholesaling business standpoint. What you guys have is totally different. So I get it. And I support your guys' partnership. And I don't give you guys too much shit about it. Uh, but that's how I feel. Let me just clarify, Ryan. My students normally are just starting out or have just done a few deals. And sometimes out of the wrong reasons, they will get a partner right out of the gate because they think that they're less than. Right? I'm not good at this, so I'm going to bring in a partner. But they just need to have the courage to have the conversation to hire somebody and not to escape to a partnership. And typically, I think when it's done that way, but I totally agree. Yeah, if, you, if your guys are going to be growing a big business, I, I have no business even giving any recommendation on that. But yeah, for new wholesalers, no partnerships. I, I don't see them working. Well, for example, guys, I'm in partnership with Tom Kroll. Right. We're, we're oh, business yeah. partnerships. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But it's not in our wholesaling business. You know, it's right. in the it's in the uh, the coaching, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, I'm playing both sides of the, the line here, you know, sitting here with one of my business partners. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, I think Ryan just takes the share of the pot, right? So that's what's up. Yeah. Well, I've got kind of a, an opinion cut down the middle because I've got a lot of business partners in the past were just a mirror image of myself, right? It's people I liked hanging out with. I wanted a sounding board. I think that's the biggest challenge is people want a sounding board to be around. They want to bring on somebody that can hang around, right? Not somebody that actually adds benefit to their business. So I told one of my students in my sub2.com program, Ryan, ironically was his name. I won't say his last name because he's probably watching. I roasted him for a good hour and a half in front of 200 other students in a very positive, nurturing, loving way because he wanted to partner with his brother in a wholesaling business that is only doing two to three deals a month. So I completely agree with Brent and uh, Tom here. I also think that Jamil agrees too, because when I first started hearing about Jamil, Jamil was like the biggest wholesaler without anybody even knowing who he was, right? He didn't have partners. He didn't have an office. He is proof that you can do 15, 20 deals a month all by yourself. But when Jamil wanted to scale and elevate nationwide, he did need to, you know, go to the Walt Disney model, which was you need a partner. Walt Disney would have failed. Disneyland would have failed without Walt's brother. Same thing with McDonald's and Ray Kroc and all these stories. There is a point where you do need somebody that the trust is not somebody you you can hire. You cannot hire that level of trust. You have to partner with them. So you can close your eyes, go on vacation for three months, hand the keys over come back and the business is in good shape or better than when you left it. 
that is a real partnership. And I can tell you, Tom is right. It is very rare to have that level of partnership. Jamil has it. I have it. Funny thing is, Cody Barton, my partner, is going on Steve Trang's show this coming Wednesday to talk specifically about what he does in our partnership that brings value that is the opposite of what I bring. So anybody that wants to hear that, take a look at Steve Trang's Real Estate Disruptors this Wednesday, 2 p.m. But honestly, I, I couldn't agree any more with every one of these guys. It just kind of depends on who you are and what part of your business you're in. And Ryan, if you just want to wholesale, I think Tom and Brent are 100% right. You can build that all on your own. But if you want to wholesale 15 plus houses a month, fix and flip, accumulate a buy and hold rental portfolio, you want to do all that stuff, I think you really got to start dating somebody. And Cody and I dated for six months before we sat down and said, should we partner on an LLC or should we just continue to JV? We had the dating period before we got married. Yeah, and, and like let that. me quickly preface, I dated Josiah and Hunter for a year before we we tied the knot. So uh, I think that's a huge that's, nugget right there. Though, that's the critical. Period. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got. I, I really appreciate that. And I definitely did not mean to stir the pot on that. I just no, need no, a lot of diverse, diverse answers on that. So I appreciate you guys. That's Thank good. You, Ryan, you're the man. Appreciate you guys. It's good. And I think, it, guys, it comes down to, you know, self-awareness. You know what I mean? Some people just don't like doing things by themselves. I didn't for years. Didn't for years and years. I always came from team sports. I always wanted to share it. I wanted to do it. I want, I mean, Pace, you share way. I mean, you, you're like, the guy. You're, I mean, you're just like the most sharing in business owner I've ever met ever. I mean, you're just giving it away and giving it away and giving it away, not financially, but just a lot of your time and your lot of your efforts and your lot of, you know, everything going on. I think that that's great. You know what I mean? Like, find out what, what is giving you energy. If being in a partnership is giving you energy, stay in a partnership. If reading Rocket Fuel gives you energy and you've done one wholesale deal, read, <laughs> read Rocket Fuel every day. Read the book, Scale Up. Read all these big time books if it gives you energy, but if it's just distracting you from taking action and helping people in your community get out of bad problems, you're wasting your time. You got to know where it comes from. You got to yep. know the seed. You got to know if you're in it, it's just like a regular relationship. If you're needy and, and you're not a full developed person yet, you're not going to be a good contribution because partnerships and you guys, I'm sure Pace will say this and Jamil is going to say the same thing, which is it's 110% and 110% from each person. It's not 50-50. So I think that... 100% agree on that. 100% agree. Yeah. Do you, and and, uh, and a get, lot of new wholesalers don't... Can we ahead. get Cody in here? There we go. Cody, you there, buddy? Yeah. Hey, there he there is. He is. What's up, guys? He's got yeah, a great so question. He texted it to me this morning, and uh, I thought it'd be great. I know Tom has answered this question a lot, and I think Jamil's probably the the most qualified to answer this out of everybody. So go ahead, Cody. Yeah, so when it comes to knowing your market, what does that entail? Like, what all should I know? Because I'm in the Kansas City market. It's kind of a big market. There's a lot of cities, but I'm just trying to see what do I need to know about my market to be the most successful? Well, I think, you know, first off, population is super important. You need to know where are the wholesale deals happening? Where are people trading? Where are they fixing and flipping properties? There. Are there opportunity areas? Are there, are there places that are more highly gentrified than others? You really need to pay attention to that. The next thing I would understand is what's access to private money like, right? Am I in a judicial or a trustee state? Are hard money lenders prevalent in my market or, are, or do they run away? Is it tough for hard money lenders to play in my area? 
the next thing I would look at is uh, what type of uh, transaction type. Am I looking at uh, attorneys? Am I looking at title or am I looking at both? What's the ease of transaction style, right? The next thing I would want to look at is how many cash transactions are actually happening in my market. I would want to pull some data and I'd want to find out how many cash buyers are actually closing, how many private money uh, transactions are actually are actually happening. You can, from the data points that I just gave you there, you should be able to very, very quickly get a great understanding of the market you're in. Beyond that, what you'll want to learn about are the nuances of your market, right? Every market is going to have specifics, little nuances or idiosyncrasies. Like for instance, in Arizona or Phoenix specifically, we have historic districts. We have suburban zones. We've got uh, opportunity zones. We've got areas that are, are high traffic, high actual like, you know, car traffic, uh, but that doesn't affect it. There's other areas where traffic tanks it, right? And so you then need to learn the little details, the little idiosyncratic details of the market. But I think that those small details become second to those major pieces that I, I discussed earlier. I think beyond that, anything else that you're really looking at probably isn't super crucial. You just need to know where are people doing deals and how are my buyers going to access money. And I think, yeah. you know, um, what, what are the two states? Is it Kansas and Illinois that you need a license now? Yes. Uh, and I'm sorry, Brent. It's a, that's something that I should add to that at this point now. And, it, and it's going to get more and more and more, right? This licensing requirement is not a small blip in this business, guys. This is the trend. This is the trend. We're, we're moving towards that in the future. And so I would pay attention to that. I think it is Kansas and it is Illinois right now. But as we move forward, I think within the next few years, that's going to be more and more prevalent all across the United States. Does that answer your question, Cody? Oh, go ahead, yeah. Tom. Jamil really hit this on the head, but there's really, to me, there's two things about a market when it comes to wholesaling specifically. There's really only two things. Number one is geography. Uh, as far as population, there's only two types of problem markets when it comes to wholesaling. There's the whole entire population. And then there's either a super, super, super concentrated amount of people in a small amount of area like Los Angeles or Manhattan, or you have the exact opposite where there's almost nobody in a big wide geography. Of, so a very, very spread out small population, like someplace in a farming town in Oklahoma, right? I'm thinking of a student Tiffany I had who I always think of. So the first thing you have to look at is you could pretty much have a million dollar business and anywhere in the middle, there's a few other caveats, but the biggest problem that you're going to have or the biggest challenge is going to be the concentration of the population over the geography, right? So if it's super concentrated or super diluted, that's going to be pretty much very difficult to do business in. The second thing is to cut through all of the fat, just sort your county by zip codes where the most cash transactions are are taking place. And one thing that you always, always notice between people who are struggling financially and people who are are very wealthy is, and I was just on the phone with somebody who, uh, who is extraordinarily wealthy, and he literally, we're going into a new thing. It has nothing to do with real estate. It's about royalties. And the first question he asked was, well, who else is doing that in that area? 
because wealthy people look for other people who are doing this, right? This is old knowledge from four, five, six thousand years ago is that you want to go where other people are doing what you want to be doing, where, you're, where they're providing your product or they're providing your service, right? But poor people or struggling people, what they always look at is they say, oh man, you know, it's oversaturated, right? You ever hear this word from a brand new wholesaler, right? It's oversaturated. There's too much competition. There's too many people. No such thing. Right, You want to go, there's a reason why there's a Lowe's that opened up next to every Home Depot. There's a reason why everybody who sells diamonds goes to the diamond district to sell their diamonds. They could go and sell diamonds anywhere, right? But why do they all concentrate in the diamond district? There's a reason for that. So I would say that you want to go right into somewhere middle America where you're not super concentrated on density of population in either direction uh, or it's too diluted. And then you want to go right into the hottest zip codes where the most cash transactions are taking place because really that's going to be the biggest indicator of there's a there's a market where there are deals happening. People are buying for cash. I love it. Good? good. Yeah, good. Thanks. Awesome. There you go, Cody. Yeah, thanks, Brett. And I think it's important. Let's let's talk about this a little bit because we kind of lit a lit a fuse when it oh, came yeah. to getting licensed, right? And yeah. Tom, we've talked about this a lot because I mean, obviously, we coach around the country. Pace and Jamil coach around the country. I mean, this is something that's going to come up, and I think it's important that listen. The business is the same. You can still source real estate opportunities. There's just going to be some differences. That, I mean, there's going to be some. You're you're either going to have to get a license or you're going to have to buy these properties. I mean, is there what what other option is there? Wait, what if it's, I partnered with somebody who's licensed? You you can partner with an agent, but let's dissect this a little further, guys. So what they've done in Illinois is sure I can partner with with somebody, but if I have traded more than a certain number of properties as the principal in that area regardless of whether or not I'm taking title, they are going to require a license. They are going to require a license. So it doesn't matter if I take title. It doesn't, Brent, you can't even get around it by just saying, hey, I'm going to actually buy this and and then resell it. You actually have to take title. And so, and I think that as wholesaling gets, and this, look guys, this is one of the most popular niches in, in real estate investing that I've seen, you know, today as more and more people get into this business, as more and more people understand it, and as more and more people actually go out and try to solve problems for, for folks, this becomes more mainstream. The more mainstream this becomes, the more people are going to want there to be some form of regulation. And I think that's just a part of, of the part of doing business. Here's what I could add to this. This is so key, is this is an area where you just got to be simple and brain dead. You know, some of the people who, once you start to, you know, do th- different things and you start to learn from different people, you see people who are where you want to be and people who are not where you want to be. And one of the things that I found early on is the people who are not where I want to be are the people who play games with taxes, right? You ever meet these guys, right? They usually, like, they usually have a certain look about it, right? And they're like, well, if I don't pay my taxes on time, I could make an extra point on interest by lending out the money. And and they talk and talk and talk. And then they have a $500,000 tax bill and they're out of business. So here's the best advice. When the regulators and the attorneys and the only person you should be talking to is an attorney and none of us, because none of us are qualified to give you an answer, especially in other states that we don't even live in. So here's the best advice. Find out what the regulators like and don't like and do what they like. Do what they want you to do. Because when you do that, you are going to have confidence to grow a big, beautiful, 
thriving business. And when you try to skirt and you try to like hide and cover up and conceal and you try to like ask the head of the RIA meeting at the water cooler the best way to structure a deal so you can get around a law, you are going to have a very weak job instead of a very powerful business. And the best news of all is when Illinois says get a license, get a license because what they're doing is they're shaking the tree and everybody's falling out because there's like, there's no way I could get a license, even though getting a license is so simple, right? Because if you can wholesale, you can get a license. So just do find out what the regulators want you to do and do what they want you to do. And it's really that simple. Like wholesaling, a lot of times people think it has to do with assigning contracts. Wholesaling has nothing to do with the real estate and it has nothing to do with assigning contracts. Wholesaling is the art of consistently finding discounted properties. If you can get good at finding discounted properties, just do what the people in charge want you to do. Have a simple, easy life. Don't play games, especially with government agencies that have more money than you could ever acquire in your entire lifetime as a thousand because you'll just be going in the wrong direction. So that is the best advice I think I could give you is find out, get a real estate attorney, find out what regulators want you to do and not want to do, and then do exactly what they want you to do and don't do what they don't want you to do. So, so if they're saying, hey, we're telling you, get a license, get a license, just get a license. It's easy. I've met people who've gotten license. Like, if they can get a license, you can get a license. If you're watching this, if you know how to get this webcam, you can, to work, you can, you get, can get them get in. Ten, you can get them in ten days here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, getting, it's like getting a driver's license. It's not like guys. It's it's not rocket science, right? This is real estate. I know a lot of barbers who are also realtors. You know, right? It's really not difficult to do. And I love that, Tom. If you find yourself doing gymnastics to transact. Don't do gymnastics. It's Don't not sustainable. Gymnastics. Especially yeah. with my body type. There's no way the Pillsbury Doughboy over here. Come on. <laughs> You're beautiful. We got, we got you two guys up there on the top and, you know, in shape, looking swell. Yeah, and, you know, we got, we got Tom. Tom, you know, I, I know you're in shape. You look great. Flip Man and I <laughs> over here just, you know, had a whole fried belly full of calamari for lunch today. So, you know, we're. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> the calamari is not that fresh up here in the mountains but we've got trout which is great <laughs> oh, it's not fresh here in the desert either we just don't care right, right. <laughs> that's great so awesome. face any thoughts there bud the only thought i have is that we have nearly 500 people watching on all of our platforms live wow we will probably Woo. have over five to seven thousand people watch us in the next 24 hours and I can tell you our podcast, the audio version is growing rapidly. And so I want to direct people, if you want to go back and rewatch some of these episodes, save them, or maybe you tuned in a little bit late, Tom Kroll has already become one of my favorite people ever. And on top of it, he's one of the best guests we've ever had on Wholesale Hotline. So if you guys jumped in halfway through the show, go check out the podcast, the audio version. You can listen to it while you drive, listen to it while you work out, etc. iTunes and Spotify, right, Brent? Yep. Yep. Wholesale Hotline on either one, guys. It's and, right and, there. And if I may, if Thank I may. Thank you, Pace. I appreciate that, brother. You know, guys, Tom Kroll, as you can see, is is out enjoying time with his family. It's The sun is set where he is. Uh, he's in the <laughs> woods. He took the time out of his evening away from his family to join us and, and drop all of his experience, his knowledge, his energy and smiles and guys, I mean, typically it's Brent Pace and myself and you guys, you guys like us, but we all look up to this guy. 
Yeah. Right. We all, we all look up to Tom. And, and so do us a solid and please, please, please share this on your IG stories. Share this yeah. on your Facebook. Let Tom know how much you appreciate him, how how important it is that when we have guests like this, that we honor them and that we let them know what they mean to us. So, Tom, please, guys, take a picture of this and share it to your Instagram stories so that he can see just how, how grateful you guys are. And Tom, let we are. Can we take this to the next level real quick in the last 11 minutes? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. This is where I want to take you guys. I'm honored. I want to talk. Let's assume that people watching and listening to this are going to take action. They're going to build a business. They're going to be successful. They're going to make more money than they ever imagined. Tom, do you have any, I guess, principles that you would talk about on what to do with your money so that one, you can continue to, to increase in your happiness and your gratitude and your love and your, I mean, we get one shot at this, right? You know what I mean? Like, what do you do with your money, basically? Like, what, what do you think yeah. people should do? What do you think are some principles that will really help people that are listening that once they get to that point, there's something there? Because we see the Lambos, we see the big mansions, we see the whatever, vacations or the watches and the chains and all that. And everybody's different. Everybody, if you're fulfilled from that, if that gives you that energy, great. But just give us another perspective on that. And let's kind of chat just between the four of us. So first of all, I will tell you, this is what I know for sure in my life that will help you right now. Number one is that before you even worry about what to do with your money, just how you make it. And I will tell you, I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. I don't care your age, fitness level, skin color, nationality, accent. It doesn't matter. I will tell you guys this right now. The only commonality between the people who are uber wealthy, the only commonality, the only single thread that runs amongst all of them internationally is this. Every single one of them read. Every single one. Every single person on my personal on my personal cell phone who's worth a hundred million dollars or more. Do you know what they send me? Pictures of books that they're reading, pages in the books, quotes in the books. So I don't care what your teachers or guidance counselors told you, unless you are literally unable to even read a street sign, pick up a book and commit to, to reading 10 pages a day. Every single day, because I'm telling you, if you want to make money, every single person I know who's where I want to be reads. Every single one, not audible, not listening, they all read. That's number one. Number two is I have something that I came up with for my money, which uh, I came up with reading a lot of books of men and women who came before us. I can tell you some of them was The Simple Path to Wealth, Dave Ramsey's book I read. Um, I read The Richest Man in Babylon, which is one of my top 10 favorite books of all time. Everybody should read The Richest Man in Babylon. And I came up with my own personal thing. I call it uh, T4 Finance. And T4 Finance is very simple. Number one, so every time you, you make a dollar today, the first 10% goes back to God. It doesn't belong to you. If you take that money, you are stealing. Make no doubt about that. You will not be blessed, and God's going to get that money one way or another. 
So you might as well give it to him and be blessed because it's going to him. And uh, it says this in chapter 3, verse 8 of Malachi. It's the last chapter of the Old Testament. It says if you're not giving that money to God, that you're stealing. It also says that some people says it's not that it's not in the New Testament. It is. It's in Matthew chapter 23. But you've got to give it. You can give it to your church. You can give it to your temple, your mosque. You can give it to charity, to poor people. But you, that money does not belong to you. Make no mistake about it. That 10% is not yours. Number two is figure out your tax bracket and immediately— not tomorrow, not in April, not later on, immediately pay the government your percentage in tax. Immediately. That's the second T. So the first one is tithe. The second one is tax. The third one is pay yourself first because now it's your turn. Every wealthy person I know from 6,000 years ago to people I know today, people I've read from, from all the way to Stoicism to the Bible times, pay yourself 10%. So the next money is your tomorrow money. So you have tithe, you have tax, and you have tomorrow, and then the last he is take, and that's today. You just you could take the rest. And if you do that, you don't need a silly budget. It's budgets are ridiculous, especially entrepreneurs. There is no way that an entrepreneur can live on a budget. It is absolutely impossible unless you're an engineer, you cannot, or a CPA or whatever. So it's it's tied, taxed, tomorrow, and take. And if you do that, you will find financial freedom. The tomorrow money, the way I divide that 10% up is into four different categories. It's cash, 25% into cash, 25% into the stock market, 25% into physical gold, and 25% into real estate. You can play around with those numbers, but I will tell you guys that if you any plan is better than no plan, and if you follow that plan, it has worked for a lot of my students. It's worked for me. It's very, very simple. It all comes from people, men and women who've come before us. A lot of people, they spend so much time trying to figure things out, but there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that we're doing was already done. There's nothing new. This all is advice. None of it comes from me. It all comes from people who came before us. So uh, that's kind of how I allocate my funds because I know I can't live on a budget because if you start giving me tons of cash, I'll be going crazy with it all with new adventures and new ideas. And I'll, I'll whip out my someday maybe folder and I'll start implementing all kinds of crazy stuff. Pace. Love it. Bam. I'm going to give you two things to live by that I learned from Tom Kroll. How about that? Woo! <laughs> I think I'm, I'm learning this also from Brent. Brent, when I saw you today coming in from the office, we actually bumped into each other and you were coming from where? The gym. Right. So I know it's a little bit different for what Tom does, but Tom takes a little bit of a break in the afternoon. You take a break in the afternoon. So you guys work hard in the morning. You take a break. You work a little bit in the afternoon as well. I really like that. And I'm starting to implement that in my life. I'm, I'm adopting it with my second piece of advice, which is love on my wife as much as I possibly can. And I, that is something that when you see Tom around his wife and it is like so magical. You can see and feel the love. You can like almost like swim in the aura essentially. And I feel the same way when I'm around Brent Daniels and I feel the same way when I'm around Jamil. Jamil. They love their significant other. They treat them like, a, like, like their partner, they're equal. And it is so fun to all get together. So uh, those are the two things I'm currently working on right now. That's perfect because you know how, how to lose half of what you got right now, right? Is a divorce. <laughs> half? That's if you're lucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, that's from, so true. Yeah. yeah. It's before, so true. Before that, lawyers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. financially, I mean, you, you look at all this effort that you put in and all this 
work that you've done and all the people that you've talked to and all of the struggles and the, you didn't have security, now you have security and now you're financially stable. And, and, and Pace, we talked about this. I don't even like coming into the office on Mondays. I like from Friday at one o'clock till Tuesday being around my family, 100%. And I'll do, I mean, I'm on the phone. I mean, this, we're, it's 2020. Come on. I mean, we can, we can talk and text and get going and, and make things happen. But if you're not taking care of what's going on at home, then what's the point? You know what I mean? Like my wife would know we could live in a van and my kids would love it. They would love it. My wife would Are you making the living in the van reference to me? And no, the, but that is before? awesome. No, no, no. I'm talking an actual van, not a, you know, six-figure luxury uh, you know, <laughs> RV type of thing, recreational vehicle. No, but I think way, can, I, can, I, can I mention that real quick? Because I'm leaving here in about 13, 14 days. I am going around the country and I'm visiting the TTP students. I'm visiting awesome. the Astro students and the Sub 2 students. Starting in San Diego, we are going to have an event with Lauren Hardy, TTP, Jamil Damji, we're going to bring out the video crew and we're going to get all of our students together and have a collaboration fest. And uh, I am bringing my van out with my wife and my kids. So it's going to be a blast. It's awesome. The other thing- That's the other awesome. Thing, I, I'm, I'm down for that too. I, what's I, the, I what's the start video. date, Pace? I am starting not this Friday, but the Friday after. I'm, I'm leaving for about 10 weeks straight, West Coast. Coming home for two months and then going East Coast probably for three months. And Jamil will be stopping in some of the bigger cities to love on his Astro students as well. So TTP, if we can get you out during the middle of the week, it'd be kind of cool. Maybe once in a while, get you out on the road. Awesome. Love it. Count me in. I I want Ty to quickly uh, answer that question because I think somebody from the block that, you know, he's absolutely, I can tell you that he does not. He's not extravagant. He doesn't spend money on chains. You know, I have never seen him in a, in a, in a fancy car, but Ty's been doing this for a long time. Ty, what advice do you got for us youngins, you know, or the, not us because I'm, I'm like you, but for the guys that are here watching right now, debating whether or not they should buy, you know, a Benz or a Tithe, what do you think that should be? Oh, wow. When it, when it comes to um, just spending money, Man, for me, I, I guess I was, um, it's a little different for me because when well, you didn't come from any money or whatever, I guess that may be everybody's story, I don't know, but it's been a roller coaster. Let me just say this. When I first started and I was making, on the job that I was on, I was uh, a billing for Bell South, which is part of AT&T. I was making about 45000 a year, which um, in Birmingham, Alabama, that's a pretty good living for a single guy or whatever. So uh, most people back then, I was in my 20s, you know, that's what you live for to make like $40,000 a year, you know. But I've had an entrepreneurial mindset for a long time. So when I discovered real estate and started making money the first year, I think I did just in wholesale fees, I did $60,000. So it, it dwarfed, you know, well, you know, so it dwarfed what I was making but I still was working or whatever. So I had just got out of a, a relationship sort of when it started rolling and really my mind wasn't right or whatever. So if I was making that, I was spending it or whatever. So 2008 happens, 2007. I really noticed it in late 2007, 2008 
when you're going from making about 20000 a month down to about five, it's just like you went from making 2000 a, a month to 200 You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because I was, I was living like that. And so pretty much lost a lot of stuff. You know what I'm saying? You know, took some very hard financial uh, – it took a minute, right? And um, sort of was still doing real estate just a little bit, got into the gold business. That's when the We Buy Gold thing was going crazy or whatever. It was making a lot of money then. So by that time, that rolled around, I still was sort of a little loose with money and sort of that faulted. So I had two bites at the apple and didn't learn my lesson. So now, totally different or whatever. And, you know, just a different attitude about uh, money and trying to keep it turning over. Um, I think I'm a given person just by, you know, you just see what I do for people online. Anytime I get a text message from people, I've never even talked to them before. And they just send me a picture of a check saying thank you or whatever, just from the content that I put out there. But when it comes to spending money, like on TikTok, I've been uh, putting a big presence out there. And I get a lot of feedback because I dress like this every day, every day. I'm going to have on four or five shirts. They're going to say the same thing or whatever, you know, Officer Free or Fob or Digger Later or any of that stuff. They say, who is this guy? He doesn't like he has any money. You know, he's a bomb, blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I try to send them something to, to, I say, well, go read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, which I've never read, read the book before, but I, <laughs> I know what it's about. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> book. It's a good book. You should read it. Or whatever. So, um, so if someone wants to buy the big cars and all that, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Because I do. You know, the car I drive, it's a luxury vehicle, but it's a 10-year-old luxury vehicle. You know what I'm saying? So it's just really basic. Try to spend a lot less than you spend. It's just that simple. Love it. A lot less. I don't care how much money you're making. Your goal should be to spend a lot less than what you make, is what I meant to say. A lot less than what you make. Awesome. You know, that's just the basic of economics. I think one thing that uh, Tom really put into into my head is pay off all personal debts, mortgage, car, uh, college, anything, any any personal debts, credit cards, any of that, pay it all off first and then start investing. And I love it, love it, love it, because literally it like opened up the floodgates of my earning potential because I wasn't spending energy worrying and frustrating about the bills. So I don't have any bills. I mean, I got kids and stuff. But, you know, I mean, just that, that average interest payment that you're paying. I mean, they say the average uh, American pays till what? Like June or May? They pay to May, uh, January to May, just interest. That's where their income's going. And then you have taxes and then you live off a little bit and then there's nothing for savings. That's why 68% of Americans don't have more than $500 in their savings account. That's why. It's because of interest. And this business gives us the opportunity to make such amazing amounts of income that I would just want to scream it from the rooftops because there's only, what, 500 people, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 10,000 people that see this out of 320 million, right? We have the advantage. There is more deals than there are people to get them. I'm telling you right now, there's more deals than people to get them. You know, Brent, I should have added that the debt thing is so key because, guys, I am telling you, debt is dark. It is dark. There's a word called indentured, and that's what it comes from. And debt is is really bad. The only people you see 
who really struggle, who are wealthy, and then it's going to be debt is going to be one of the number one reasons. They're, they're in the back of the rear room. You could go and talk to them. They're a little bit older than us. And they're, they always say things like, you wouldn't believe how much I used to make. You know what happened is they didn't pay their taxes right out of the gate, and they got into debt. And the more slick and scientific the debt is, the more dangerous it is. The more it's like, no, you don't understand. This is totally secure because of X, Y, and Z. That's when you need to run. Like credit card debt is a bad debt. But And, and you know, one other thing on money, guys, is that you know, as we're all talking about this, don't forget – Money is the least of these. Money is like, you know, what we've really, if you go back and listen to this podcast, to this podcast, what we really all said is money's not important. Money is only a symptom of the condition. What a lot of poor people do is they chase the symptoms, right? But you'll never get rich chasing the symptom. You've got to chase the condition that Jamil has, that Brent has, that Pace has, right? You've got to chase the condition that produces that, like tithing, like reading, like focusing on fewer things, like hard work, right? So so that's really important. And also understand that money is a game. Once you win, you can stop playing the game. There is no joy in running up the score. Every single person who wins at the game of money and then continues to run up the score only finds misery. They don't find any joy. So money is a game. Once you win, pick a new game because there's a lot of games in town and money is just one of them. And it's only a symptom of a condition. So seek the condition that Pace has. He told you, right? He works hard in the morning. He takes a break in the afternoon. Then he goes back to work. He focuses on fewer things. Pace has a partner. You know, Brent doesn't. I mean, you know, Jamil linked up with people. I mean, these are the conditions that produce the money. So, and that's where you have to be. Well, I, also think, it, I also think it has a big amount to do with the people you surround yourself with a big oh, yeah. thing to do with and, who and you hang out with because we hang out all together and very real. I mean, we'll talk business, but not much. I mean, right. we're just talking family. We're talking things. We're talking life. We're talking funny. You know, we're, Trying not to be influenced by the people you spend time with is like trying to go swimming without getting wet. It's impossible. So no matter what the excuse is, that they're family, they're close, we've been friends for years, it doesn't matter if they're constantly poor, if they're constantly having emergencies, if they're constantly a victim, if they're constantly struggling. It's because of their belief system is wrong. Their actions are in line with their belief systems, and it will influence you no matter how. If you spend time with great people who are where you want, and a lot of people say who is the right person because it's not all about money and it's about ethics. The, the right person is the person who is where you want to be. That's who the right person is. So find people who are where you want to be and then spend time with those people. And if you do that, you will have explosive results because you can't go swimming without getting wet and you can't hang out with people without them influencing you. It's impossible. So yeah, awesome. Ty, Ty just whispered, eagles don't hang around chickens. I That's saw right. that on TikTok. <laughs> I it was yeah, and, and right, right go, outside. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Hey, Brent, why don't you take us home, brother? Yeah, Tom, thank you so much. I mean, I've just seen so many comments just exploding, exploding. I've had more text messages from the TTP family and the Rhino tribe since you've been on than I've ever had. So, I mean, it's, just a, it's, it's really incredible. I know that it's already nighttime there. We really appreciate you jumping on here. You always are, are give so much instruction. You give us a really good, I mean, you're the perfect example of really enjoying life 
being wealthy, being happy, and and just just the overall health. You know, I just love it. So thank you, Tom. Love you. Thank you, guys. You guys are you guys are the best hosts ever. It was an awesome being on this show. I'll be back anytime you'd like to have me. I'm here for you. And uh, Ty, it was great spending time with you, man. Flipman, awesome. Uh, that's what's Good up. stuff, guy. Right here. Thank you, guys. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at InvestorGrit.com by joining the mailing list, as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe with your hosts, Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffheim. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.